You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. Good to see you all today. I know we've got some people away on vacation, but we have you here, and that's great. Did you get my text this morning? Instead of Saturday? Yeah. One person replied to it and said, Yay, it's Sunday. And I thought, that's a great response. Where's Steve Smith? Thank you, Steve. And I couldn't help but think, not just our church, but across America, are Christians and believers, are, they, are we getting up today and saying, yay, it's Sunday? And we get to go to the church. You know, we are the church. We're not going to church. We are the church. We get to go to the church building and gather with the church rather than, it's Sunday. I got to go to church or I have to go to church. So thanks, Steve. That made my day. Yay! It's Sunday, and I hope we all are feeling like that on Sunday. We're in a series. Art, you you might as well make your your way to the mic a while. We're in a series through the book of Acts. We're up to chapter 18 now, beginning 18 today, completed 17 yesterday. A lot of these middle chapters, of course, are about the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Art's going to read our text for us, but before he does, would you stand with me? We're going to honor God's word and Art as he reads to us. Acts chapter 18, the first verse. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all the time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and assaulted him, Paul shook the dust off his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and went to the home of Titus, Justice, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many other in Corinth also heard Paul became believers and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack attack, and harm you. For many people in the city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. But when Galileo became the governor of, I I didn't get that word, but I'll do it the best I can. Uh, Achia. Some of the Jews rose up against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in the ways that are contrary to our law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, Galileo turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were the case involving some wrongdoing or serious crime, I would have reason to accept your case. But since it's merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such a matter. And he threw them out of the courtroom. The crowd then grabbed uh, the leader of the synagogue and beat him right there in the courtroom 
but Galileo paid no attention. Paul stayed in Corinth. Oh, I said that in 17, right? Was it 17? 17. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Art. Maybe seated. So these messages in Acts, they've been taking on a very similar theme week after week, city after city. There's the proclamation of the gospel in the synagogue. There's the initial success. Then there's rejection by the majority of the Jews. So then there's outreach to the Gentiles, followed by further opposition and persecution by both Jews and Gentiles. It's like the patent place as we go through these, these middle chapters of Acts. It's because Luke's purpose in writing this book is to detail for us the spreading of the gospel, the spreading of Christianity throughout the world of the first century. So especially in these middle and later chapters into which we're entering, it's going to be through the ministry of Paul and his companions. And Luke just simply tells it like it is. He does not embellish. Now last week, if you were here, the message was basically informative, but with some challenges and some ouches. This week, the message is basically informative, but with some encouragement. We need some encouragement. The church needs some encouragement, and God is well aware of that. God doesn't back off the challenges and the ouches that we need to become who we need to become, but God also realizes we need encouragement, and there's even times we need R&R. So a reason to cheer her this week, no challenges, no ouches, except for Deborah. She comes in looking for those things. No challenges, no ouches, just encouragement. Two segments again today, just like last week. The initial segment, we're just going to simply detail the setting and the facts of the passage. And then the end, the second segment, is going to be the application, which is the most important. That's where I, I, I hope to speak some encouragement to us. And if you pray for the person who's speaking during a service, you can pray that when we get the application, I can make it very clear to us what God wants to say, how he wants to encourage us today. So the title is Paul in Corinth. Let's begin by checking out our map because we're keeping tabs on these guys. Where in the world are they? And some of you have told me that the maps make it very relevant, so I'm keeping the map slide in there. Not much changes this week. At the very end of the red line, we just sort of dip about 50 miles west of Athens, and we hit Corinth. You know the Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, all of that stuff, if you've been with us. So then Paul left Athens, and he went 50 miles west to Corinth, Corinth. The ancient city of Corinth in Paul's day was actually leveled by an earthquake. But it was rebuilt in 1858. And if you check it out today, Corinth is still an important city in Greece. The population when Paul was in Corinth was about 200,000 people. A sizable city of any day, but especially in their day. 200,000 people. Corinth today, about 38,000. Put that in perspective, Lancaster is about 58,000, York's about 44,000, so Corinth today, just a little smaller than Lancaster or York. I think I said before, and some of the people appreciated that, it's 312 miles south of Thessalonica, which is also a city, and it's about a five-hour car drive. So that we know these, these accounts we're reading in Acts didn't happen on some faraway planet or some fantasy land. They happened on this earth, and many of those places still exist today. Okay? Chapter 18, two, verses 2 and 3. There, once he hit Corinth, he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. So when Paul arrives in Corinth, he meets Aquila and Priscilla, two Jewish believers from Italy. They had a lucrative tent-making business, actually located in various cities, very entrepreneurial. 
Or better, the word should say leather-working. They didn't just make tents. They worked with leather. It was a leather-working business. And they either hired Paul because he was a leather worker, or they made Paul a partner in their venture. But Paul joined forces with these believers from Italy. From this trade, tent making or better leather working, they supported themselves as they ministered. Not much anymore is said about Aquila and Priscilla here, but from other scriptures that you'll read as you move through the New Testament, they became very close, very special friends to Paul, very um, Close associates, kingdom workers with Paul. This is important. It's a little fact, a little detail. He hooked up with these two Christians, but it's important in the application. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. After Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and he said, your blood is now upon your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will preach to the Gentiles. So Silas and Timothy arrived. That's also very important in the application. Paul and Silas rejoined, or Silas and Timothy rejoined Paul in Corinth. So now if you add Aquila, Priscilla, Silas, Timothy, and Paul, you have a ministry team of five. That's important in the application. Much better than being alone like Paul was in Athens. Paul may have been discouraged when he left Athens. He was alone there. It's the one place that he went and ministered alone, not necessarily by choice or by pride, but They got him out of those areas up north where he was under severe persecution. You know, he had a bounty on him. There were hit men looking for him. They had to get him out of there. So he winds up in Athens, this idolatrous, wicked city, by himself. And he had not much fruit there, not much fruit from his ministry. No church is mentioned. When Paul leaves Athens, there's no church mentioned that had been formed in Athens. Actually, in history, there's no church in Athens till much later. So, still, even though he was discouraged, it seems like he was discouraged, and we'll talk about that in a moment, nothing much changes from place to place. He goes to a new city, but same strategy, same mission. He goes to the synagogue. Each Sabbath found Paul in the synagogue. He hits the city, and he immediately heads for the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews that meet there and the God-fearing Gentiles. He begins telling them about Jesus. Same message. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Paul played a one-string guitar. i got to tell you about Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's your hope. He's everything. He's all in all. Without him, there's nothing else. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul, not come to know Jesus? City after city. Same strategy. Same mission. Same message. Same result. Initial success, then they oppose him. So when they opposed and insulted him, there's that infamous but. Opposition arose in Corinth. Again, they they opposed and insulted him. Paul shook the dust from his clothes. And he said, your blood now is upon your own heads. That's different. I am innocent, and from now on I will go to preach to the Gentiles. Now, if you know of Paul's missionary call. Remember Paul's missionary call back at the beginning when he was knocked to the ground and God saved him and gave him a mission? What was his missionary call? He was to go and preach to the Gentiles. Now, I'm not saying he's out of God's will. Holy cow, I would never say that. But he starts in the synagogue in every city. But he ends up with the Gentiles. And so here he finally says, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to the Gentiles. And I just wrote in my notes, good thing too, Paul, because if you remember, you were called to preach the good news to the Gentiles. 
So this time he has an interesting response when the opposition arises. He left them before they could run him out. And it says he shook the dust off of his clothes. What does that even mean? It really doesn't mean much at all to us today. Not a whole lot. But it meant tons to them. And it meant tons especially to the Jews. If somebody shook out the folds of their garment or shook the dust off their feet, that was huge to the Jewish culture. Let's take a look. Even back in the Old Testament, Nehemiah. I shook out the folds of my robe and I said, If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. Yikes. Whatever it is, it doesn't sound good, does it? The people of Jerusalem during Nehemiah's day had again turned away from God, returned to their sinful practices. Nehemiah had, and Ezra had the place in revival, and they turned again away from God. And Nehemiah, shaking out the folds of his garment, is tantamount to giving them a stern warning that if you don't get your act together, if you don't turn wholeheartedly to God... He will come and he will shake you as I'm shaking the folds of my garment. So shaking out related to a place or or people is not a good thing. It's basically getting close to the final warning that judgment is about to hit. I thought of our world today and uh, without going into death, into depth, I thought, there's a whole lot of shaking going on in the world today and in our nation and in the church today. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. God is shaking anything that can be shaken. That he who has ears to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church today. There's a New Testament reference. If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. The setting here, Jesus sent his disciples out to the surrounding towns to tell them about him. He gave them instructions that if any household or any town refused to welcome his disciples, if they refused to listen to his message, they were to shake the dust from their feet as they left that town. They were to shake the dust off of their sandals that had collected from the the streets of that city. Again, it's a stern warning to any town or village, city or nation, that refuses to welcome the message of Jesus, that refuses to receive their Messiah. That town, that village, that city, that nation is in big trouble with God. It's also symbolic that God's messengers upheld their responsibility to the people to tell them about Jesus, and it's now on the people who heard. It's on their heads, but refusing to listen. And just just a side note, do you remember what the Jewish people said to Pontius Pilate when he was trying to not have to crucify Jesus? And they were yelling, crucify him. And he said, okay, I'm going to wash my hands of this. Do you remember what they said? Let his blood be upon us and our children. Now, you won't read this in history, but that's what the Holocaust was all about. And that's what all this persecution of the Jews throughout the years has been all about. They brought the curse of God upon their race until they're willing to turn to their Messiah. Let his blood be upon us, that generation, and our children down through the generations. That's what we see Paul saying to the Jews from the synagogue in Corinth. Your blood now is on your own heads. I'm innocent. I fulfill what God has called me to do. I gave you the message of Jesus, your Messiah. And he was off to talk to the Gentiles. Just a quick slide before we move on, and this is for us personally to think about. 
We talked about reckless love and how God relentlessly pursues us. will leave the 90, 99 and pursue us, and that is absolutely true. But I want you to know another truth, a very scary truth. People can never get themselves into a position in which God cannot reach them. He's constantly pursuing. But this needs to be said. People can get themselves into a position in which they will not turn to God, and they seal their fate. They harden their hearts. They seal their conscience. The more you resist God, the more you stiff-arm God and his trying to reach you, the more you're hardening yourself. He'll never stop, but you'll never turn. You don't want to get to that spot. Many of the folks in the towns and villages of Jesus' ministry, when the disciples were sent out to those, to those people, they got themselves into that position. That's why they ended up crucifying him. Many of the folks in the cities of Paul's ministry, they got themselves into that position. That's why they were trying to kill him. And when you read Revelation, you're going to see that many of the folks in the tribulation, they simply will not repent. They will not turn to God despite how bad it gets. You don't want that to be you. If God's calling out to you and you're saying maybe tomorrow, you're in a very bad place. And you say, well, I'm young and even according to the average lifespan, I'll live to be this age the more you turn away from God, the more you forfeit his blessing, his favor, and his protection. And there's no guarantee you have life to the average lifespan. This is not a game. This is serious. These days are serious days. But not all the folks hardened their hearts. Then he left and he went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. So when he left the Jews, he didn't go very far. He went next door and set up base of operations there. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul. They became believers and they were, they were baptized. So they're no longer meeting in a synagogue. He, he cleared himself of that. They went next door to a, a, a large wealthy house owned by, or a large house owned by a wealthy Gentile. It actually could be said that this guy's house, this Crispus, was it Crispus? No, Titius Justus, was the first meeting place of the Corinthian church, probably in this house. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, he got saved, and he and his whole household, now that they were out of the synagogue, these guys somehow got saved. And now they were having some success in Corinth. Some other folks were beginning to believe. A church was beginning to form. He already had more success now in Corinth in those early days than he had in Athens. The next two verses should be 9 and 10. Actually, the next three, 9 through 11. I want to intentionally skip them. They'll be the application. Instead, we'll go to verse 12. When Gallio became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul, and they brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. So again, as always, proclamation of the gospel in the synagogue. Initial success, rejection by the Jews. Go to the Gentiles. Further opposition and persecution by Jews and Gentiles alike. So Paul is again in trouble. Paul is again brought before the authorities. But... And this time, it's a good but. But, just as Paul started to make his defense, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers. This is important. Plays into the application. Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. The crowd then grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom, but Gallio paid no attention. The crowd grabbed the current leader of the synagogue. Crispus had gotten saved, and 
He resigned as leader. Now Sosthenes is the leader of the synagogue. And they beat him right there in the courtroom in front of the judge. He was the new leader of the synagogue. He took over when Crispus was converted. And Sosthenes had joined the crowd that was opposing Paul. Big mistake. You joined the wrong side. Sauce, old boy. You joined the wrong side. It cost him dearly when things didn't go the way the Jews wanted it to go. And I have just down here a note for you to think about, for me to think about. My, how quickly evil turns on itself. If anybody in here thinks that you gain something from serving Satan, he won't be so hard on you or there's some benefits there, forget it. He has one intention, and that's to destroy you. He came to kill, rob, and destroy. Jesus came to bring life. So many people are deceived in serving Satan. I think we're going to see much more of this in our own nation in the days ahead. Evil turning on itself as evil is going to be increasingly exposed and brought to justice. Evil has no regard for its own. Evil only uses you until it can't use you anymore. And and that's just not demonic. That's human too. They'll destroy each other to accomplish their objectives. You're only good to them as long as you can be used by them. So the judge said, I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them, the accusers, out of the courtroom. What? No way. Finally, finally, a victory for the Apostle Paul and his companions. Doesn't it usually go the other way? They're usually throwing the Christians out and beating them up, and the judge doesn't care. This is a turn of events. Victory for Christianity, for Paul. And this is actually a significant turning point for the Apostle Paul. We'll see more on that in a moment. It's a turning point in his ministry. Now, why did the judge throw the matter out of court? Well, there's two reasons. There's an earthly reason. Their accusations had nothing to do with Roman law, just their religious gripes. And the Roman judge said he had no time for their religious gripes. If they'd come in here because a Roman law had been broken, that's one thing. But he's not there to hear their religious gripes. Out. But there's a spiritual reason. And it has everything to do with a word that God spoke to the Apostle Paul in verses 9 through 11. In a night vision. So I want to stop giving the setting and the details here. And I want to move in. I want to proceed to the application that comes from verses 9 through 11. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and he told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. I am with you. No one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me, or some versions I like better. I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. The Lord spoke to Paul in a vision while he was in Corinth. Paul received a vision in the night. And the content of the word, and I want us to think about what God said to the Apostle Paul. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Speak out. I am with you. No one will attack and harm you. They tried, but they were unsuccessful because God said it was not going to happen here. I have many people in this city who are going to come to me. What an encouraging word to a discouraged servant, right? Well, how do you know, Paul, that actually, how do you know, Pastor, that Paul was actually discouraged? Well, because he said so. Didn't didn't you see it in there? Nope, you're right, Isaiah. It's not in there. The only one who got it, Isaiah. But you see it because Paul said it. His writing to the Corinthians sometimes later, he talks about Acts 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. 
Some versions say, I came to you very afraid, shaking, and without strength. That could fit a description of discouraged, wouldn't you say? That's the way he walked from Athens to Corinth, in that condition, in that state of mind. Think about it. Paul had gotten severely beaten up several times. He had been imprisoned. He had been persecuted. He had been harassed. He had been run out of every city along the missionary journey. He had to flee to Berea. He ended up in Athens alone. And for the first time in any city in Athens, very, very little success. Only a scant few came to believe. He was unable to establish a church there. So he walks the 50 miles from Athens to Corinth alone. And he enters this immense, incredibly wicked, incredibly immoral, even dangerous, decadent city alone. Having just experienced all those things we we listed. No doubt he was still hurting physically and exhausted from all the beatings and the imprisonment. So many scholars feel, Bible scholars feel, that even though this is the gallant Apostle Paul, this is also a very discouraged, fearful, even on the verge of bailing Apostle Paul. Wholeheartedly obedient, yet discouraged, servant of God, stumbling into Corinth, alone. You got the setting? But then, by divine orchestration, he meets Aquila and Priscilla. Silas and Timothy arrive. That bolsters him somewhat. Things are looking up. He's no longer alone. Just a word of caution for us. You cannot go it alone. Some of us think we can. Some of us, we don't think we need believer, other believers. Some of us think we don't need the church. You cannot go it alone. Even if you're a strong uh, believer as the Apostle Paul, and uh, you'll have to do some soul searching if you think you are, you can't go it alone. We fight an enemy who's much too strong for us. We need each other. That's why it's, yay, it's Sunday. I get to go to where the believers are meeting, not, uh, it's Sunday, I have to go to church today. Keck, you do this to me every week. What do you want to say? <laughs> very good, very good. Ray's promoting small group ministry in the church. We need small groups. Yeah, we have one official small group going. Dawn, thank you for that. And uh, we're always open. That, you know, those time frames don't uh, suit everybody's schedule. If there's a time you say, hey, you know, I think I could be at the church this day, you know, this day of the week and this hour. Well, we'll see if others can be there then and we'll start a small group or another prayer gathering. We're, we have what we have because it, it fits some people's schedules, but we're open to have more and others. So now he's, not, he's no longer alone. He's back with a ministry team again. Don't try and go it alone. Remember when we had the messages a f- few months ago about the, uh, where has God placed you? Who are you to reach while you're, pla- while you're placed there? And what was the third one? Does anybody remember? Yes. With whom? You find out where God has you, location. You find who you're to reach there. That's the harvest. And then you're to find who's who's God is going to bring alongside you to work that harvest. You don't work it alone. He sent out his disciples in what number? Two by two, team ministry. So now he has a team, and he gets this very encouraging word from the Lord, which became an immediate reality. Because the word said, nothing, nothing will, har- will attack you and, and harm you. So he was hauled in before the, the governor, almost as a test of that, 
Well, here I am attacked again. I thought the Lord said nothing will attack me and harm me. But it ends there. Paul doesn't even get a chance to speak. And the judge turns on his accusers. And Paul's set free. Nothing was able to attack and harm him in that city. That's the word he got. And he's so impressed by that that unlike anywhere else that he's ministered to, he stays there for a year and a half. He finally gets a chance to build a church and teach the church and disciple the believers. One late, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, I am with you. No one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. So instead of getting beat up in prison, persecuted and run out of Corinth, this time his accusers had that experience. God promised him a long and fruitful ministry in Corinth, and he had one. There's two letters written to the Corinthian church. It was a very well-established, vibrant New Testament church in Corinth. He stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. Up to, up to now, he was, he was probably in one place no longer than three months. It's usually three weeks or a month before he's run out. In Corinth, he's able to establish a vibrant church, a long-term teaching ministry. Very, very encouraging to the Apostle Paul. So here's the application. This is the main point for us today. And remember... Application is not what we've learned today. If we walk out of here with knowledge, that's a good thing. But if we walk out of here with an idea of how to apply that knowledge, that's a better thing. Application isn't knowledge. It's what you do with knowledge. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11, was a needed word to a discouraged servant of God in the first century. In my opinion, Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11, is a needed word to a discouraged congregation of God's people in the 21st century. Perhaps CCF. Now, maybe you. Maybe me. Listen. Many of us have been battling hard for a long time. And the battle has often been hot and heavy, and we've taken some casualties. Many of us have been believing God, and we've been trusting, and we've been hanging in there, and we have been doing our best. And we often haven't seen the fruit that we thought we would see, we haven't seen the things completely fulfilled that we hope for and desire. And we're often tempted to say, what's the use? Disappointment, failure, adversity, discouragement. Kind of like the Apostle Paul from at, on his way from Athens to Corinth. I believe personally God is speaking Acts 18, 9 through 11 to us today. He who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today, to CCF today, to you today. He's saying, don't be afraid. Some of us have had to fight fear over various things in the last three years. Keep on speaking out. We finally are coming into a place as a church where we're very concerned about speaking out and telling others about Jesus. We're on the cusp of seeing great fruit from that. And God's word to us is keep on speaking out. Don't be silent. How many times have we said the day of the silent church must be over? A silent church is being glaringly reflected in our society, in the newspapers, in government and academia and entertainment and some industries and some in the military and some in, the, in sports. You can, you can see an obvious lack 
of a vibrant church speaking righteousness into our culture and into our society. And it's actually better than it has been. And that's why I think God is coming today and he's saying, I know what you've been doing and I know what you've experienced and I know how at least some of you are feeling and I'm telling you, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking out. Don't be silent. Can I take one more beating? Can I take one more imprisonment? Can I take? Yes. <laughs> and maybe for a while there's not going to be any of that. No one's going to attack and harm you, church. The rising remnant, those who have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church, those who are rising up in righteousness to follow him, those who are entering the battle with him, can we take the word, no one's going to harm, attack you and harm you. And there's other ways of saying that. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Are we entering into that in the days ahead? I have many people in this city. God wasn't lying when he said 100,000 lost souls coming to Christ in our area and our region. He has many souls who are coming to him in these days ahead. Lift up your eyes. Don't say four months and then the harvest. Look, open your eyes, look up, and see that the harvest is ready today. Now, here's something about an encouraging word. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking out. Don't be silent. I am with you. No one will attack and harm you. I have many people in this city. It's not necessarily a feel-good word, okay? Oh, I'm going to be encouraged, meaning I'm going to feel good. It's an encouraging word. And feeling good and being encouraged are not necessarily the same thing. Encouraged actually means strengthened to carry on. God wants to speak an encouraging word to us today, a strengthening word that will enable us to carry on in the mission and the assignment that he gave us. It may or may not feel good, but it's an encouraging word from which you find strength. God brought a team around Paul again, and then he gave him this word. It doesn't necessarily mean everything felt good and went right, but they were strengthened to press on the mission in Corinth, and they were successful in that mission. The encouraging word to us today is stand firm, resist the enemy, battle on. You and I, we must continue to press the battle against evil. We must continue to press the battle against evil and darkness. When Roe versus Wade was overturned, great cause for celebration. And we celebrated and we rejoiced. But the next Wednesday morning, we were back in this room praying again. Now it's going to the states. Abortion is still very real. In Pennsylvania, there's still abortion on demand. So we celebrate the victory, but we continue to press the war. And we need to be encouraged to do that. One of the enemy's greatest tricks is to discourage. He bombards us with bad news. And if he knows that we're expecting a certain form of good news, he will make sure we hear the opposite. We need to start seeing through his strategy and say, I'm not believing that. I mean, I'm not saying it's not true somewhere, but no, I'm not believing that as opposed to what I know God told me. You and I, we must continue to press the battle against evil, against darkness. We must continue to tell others about Jesus wherever God gives us opportunity. We must never give up. We must never give in. We must be resolute till the end. There's a day that's coming. It may be coming for us personally before the actual day comes, or we may still be alive when the day comes. But there is a light at the end of this tunnel. And there's another verse, a very overlooked verse in the Old Testament that says, this is not your rest. No, there's, your, there's our rest. This is battle. This is war. This is, this is fight. This is on mission with Christ. 
My own opinion, this is a very now word. This is a very relevant word being spoken directly from the Lord to the church today, to you, to me, to us. And I would guess that many churches around our nation are hearing something similar from the Lord today because he wants to strengthen a weary church. Be greatly encouraged, my brothers and sisters. And let me close with a personal illustration. This is not my first encounter with this word. At a very, very low period in the early days of planting this church, when Deb and I would get the house all cleaned up, we had a Bible study Wednesday night and a Bible study Sunday evening, and we get the house cleaned up, we get the snacks, we put everything out, and we wait for the people to come. And this is no exaggeration, nobody. Jero, nada, came. And then maybe one or two people would come. We had, we had invitations out all over the place for this. That went on from January of 96 to May of 96. <laughs> and uh, I was getting very discouraged and wondering if maybe we had missed God's will and ready to throw in the towel. And I was talking to Deb about this this week because of this sermon. She doesn't remember it quite as clear as I do, but I remember so clearly God coming to me and giving me this word from 1 Corinthians, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking out. Don't be silent. I'm with you. No one will attack and harm you. And especially that last phrase, thinking of Columbia and the surrounding area, I have many people in this city. And I was strengthened. Didn't necessarily feel good. Didn't change the circumstances immediately, but I was strengthened not to give up, not to give in, not to throw in the towel. And May we, in May, we had a huge breakthrough. For some reason in May, God chose to bring the Robinsons and the Kleins into our small group, and from there, the church just began to take off. So listen, church, to the word of the Lord. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Keep on speaking out. Don't be silent. God is with you. No one will attack and harm you. He has many people in this area. He gave us a number. He gave us a fresh vision recently. 100,000 souls coming to, lost souls coming to know him in this area, in this region. However large that area or region is, I'm not sure. Here's the closing slide, Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. And at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Bob, will you come and pray? And Sonny, if you'll bring the band up. Take heart, church. Take heart, discouraged believer. Battle on. Congregation, if you'll stand with us. Father, we just come and we, we thank you and praise you for this word that you've given us today. Because, yes, uh, Father, we, we, in the light of, of what we may be facing, because with revival does come challenges, with uh, reaching the lost comes with challenges, Lord, with, also with great reward. So, Father, in the light of, of how things Look, when we look at it, Father, sometimes your, your people get tired. Sometimes they get weary. But, Lord, we, we, we don't lean on our own understanding, but we acknowledge you in our ways, and we trust that you are leading us. Your word says you will direct our paths, so you are leading us. So, Father, I, I, just, I, I also ask, Father, that, that we would begin to see each other. I mean, really see each other. See when we're hurting, see when we're, our faith is beginning weak. See when we're, 
we're not as strong as we could be, Father. So, so you, would, you would reveal to us and make us willing just to encourage one another with, with words of strength, yes, Lord. with words of courage. Yes, Father, there's a difference between uh, flattery that, 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 that feeds our vanity and encouragement that feeds our soul. So, Father, would you just continue to feed our souls, encourage us, strengthen us, that we could set our face like flint against anything that would come against your mission, your church, your name, your word, your people, and Father, we will resolutely stand and declare your word, for you are faithful, and you will stand behind us, you will protect us, you will lead us, you will give us victory. I just praise you and thank you. And Father, as we, as we come and, and worship in the name of Jesus, and we speak the name of Jesus in our songs, Lord, we just open our hearts for, for just to love you and praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name. Where we have a relent. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.